0: This week on the Sports Initiative podcast, I sit down with doctor and author, Dr. Rob Bell. He discusses his work in the sports psychology area and why this can be so important to athletes, the importance of preparation for athletes so they can deal with challenges prior to them arising and provide some great analogies that can be used in a practical setting. As always, if you enjoy this podcast, please make sure you share it with friends and family. I hope you enjoy. Perfect. So Rob, really appreciate you uh, jumping on with me. I know we've caught up briefly then and it sounds like you've got a lot on your plate, but um, how are things your end? all you all safe and well?
1: Brilliant, man. Doing great. Yeah. Love it over here and I appreciate you having me on, man. I'm always excited to, you know, hopefully uh, the listeners can get, you know, a couple of pieces of information, man, that they can apply and love it.
0: Good. So, for people that might not have come across your work or don't know anything about you, do you want to give a bit of a whistle stop tour about who you are, what you do, why you do it?
1: Oh, whistle stop tour. See, that's why I love it, man. I, I I just wish like one of the characteristics I wish I had in life, man, was to have like the British wit. You know, to be able to have that comeback so fast. I I just never could do it, man. I was always like I'd have to wait a little bit, then I would have the comeback. So I appreciate you mentioning that. It's um. It's been a distinguished road. I mean, I, I work with athletes, coaches, and teams on mental toughness, and that's uh, two facets to it, right? Like mental toughness, a lot of uh, definitions that are going to be out there, but I'm a jeans and T-shirt kind of guy. I try to keep it as simple as we can. It's how we perform in, under pressure, and then how do we deal, handle, and cope with the setbacks and the adversity of life. And it's all I've ever wanted to do in life. I was uh, played baseball and had a pretty significant injury in college that was self-inflicted. And, um, I've found out about sports psychology and it was tattooed in my heart. This is what I want to do with, with my life. And there are a lot of, uh, a lot of mountaintops to climb a lot of, definitely a lot of valleys to go through. But, um, I, I, I love what I do, man. And just be able to help people get to where they want to go is just such a fascinating and, and rewarding path. And, um, yeah, man, I've written, um, working on my eighth book now, Mental Toughness. Written seven books on mental toughness. Um, been fortunate enough to work with uh, PJ Tour champions, all different sports. Um, so yeah, that, that I guess the whistle stop tour, man. Yeah, I love per- competing myself. I love competing myself too, man. I, I love doing ultra marathons and, and golf. Those are probably the main sports I compete in.
0: No, I think that's really interesting. A point I want to pick up there. You mentioned around your, Uh, playing career and then how that has affected you in moving into this area so for you what was the realization that actually psychology or mental toughness was important uh, within sport and did that come from a particular example in your career growing up
1: I think there's a couple of different examples one I was just the athlete that thought too much it was like Sheldon from Big Bang Theory I I couldn't I just couldn't shut off my mind, and every time I would ask a coach about it, they can never really help me out. But just so once the game gets started, you know it kind of goes away. And I was a, I was also an all or nothing type of player. Like I was the worst. I was the one that coaches hated because you didn't know who you're going to get. Right? This could have been Taylor Swift. It could have been Lady Gaga. We don't know who's going to show up today. And coaches hate that. So I was either when things were great, yeah, things were great, they were wonderful. But when things were bad, there was it was awful. There was no. Having a good, crappy day there wasn't that it was it was all or nothing and I think those sort of experiences helped like lead into i think the curiosity into the mental game and that's that's definitely where it started um and then getting to uh getting to experience firsthand, man on so many different athletes there is not one way to approach it. everyone has different strengths. It's being able to find out, I think, especially when it comes to mental game, which which one is your strength, which one can you focus on and make that ironclad. I think that's that's what becomes really important.
0: And what, what you've mentioned there a little bit is around the, the identification process. So when we look at this in younger athletes, um,
1: mm-hmm.
0: how can you go around identifying whether they maybe do have high levels of mental toughness and resilience or don't and who maybe we need to work with or who it might be troublesome moving forward
1: well i think speculation is the mother of all evil what i mean by that is there'll be so many people that miss on athletes because we make a decision when they're you know prepubescent 12 year old and you know why why do we miss because we made this impression of an athlete that has not fully developed yet. And if you like pop popcorn, it's the same thing, man. That's how development works, right? If you're like this kernel right here, this is going to be the best taste of popcorn that there is, but they all pop at different times. You never pop popcorn and they all pop at once. And so to identify really gets difficult. So this is what I have seen is that anyone who's really going to reach their full potential needs to be told at some point that they're not good enough you can't do it that's a bad idea it's it's a horrible way to coach it it can ruin a lot of people and i don't i don't recommend that as the way to coach but what i'm saying is is only those who were told that reach their true potential and the reason why is because there is no ambiguity when it comes to that they those individuals are going to listen to the coach that cut them or they're going to listen to themselves and their self-belief. There is no middle of the road. If you just get told as a young athlete, how great you are, how great you are, with well, some point, everyone's great. And then you really start to question it. Well, am I really that great? And then that becomes a really uh, abyss type area to be in. And so that is the only indication that I know when someone was told that they weren't good enough. If you go and you ask anybody who's been super successful, who told you weren't good enough, and they can nail it, right? Hey, it was my seventh grade teacher, man, Mrs. Barlow. She said that. Or, um, yeah, I was uh, on a developmental team. I got cut when I was 14. It, every single one of them have it because there's no ambiguity when it comes to that moment. So it's like when it comes to identification, yeah, it's rude and it's crude, but this is what I look for. Individuals whose circumstance has, has toughened them up because they there was no other option. They had to be successful. Uh, were they told that they couldn't be good enough? And what type of adversity had they overcome on their path towards where they're going? And uh, I just, I always look for those athletes and individuals that are going to be hungry. It's there's, there's nothing that can derail somebody who is determined, whose time has come and that they believe in themselves. It's the unseen, though. We don't see it. And that becomes a really difficult in terms of trying to identify talent. But those are a couple of the things I really look at.
0: So why do you think it has such a profound effect or long lasting effect on an athlete being told that they're not good enough or being cut?
1: Well, because it negatively can affect so many people when, when you're like, when you're cut, when you're told that you're not good enough, it, the potential right there, what happens is, is that uh, we believe it. Like automatically believe it. that oh, that person must be right. You know, maybe I'm not good enough. But then there's going to be somebody out of the shadows that comes along and says, "Man, you don't need to listen to that coach. Man, you can you believe in yourself." And now they've got a different voice that comes alongside them, and that's the power of a coach, the power of somebody who's going to tell you you're not good enough. But then when you have somebody that's going to come come alongside, you say, "Look, man, you got to keep working hard. And stay focused on today." Don't worry about, you know, the long-term stuff. They focus on the short-term and just keep getting better. It's, it becomes the most powerful type of, uh, you know, if I look at like getting struck by lightning, lightning is, is very powerful. And if you get that word of criticism by somebody that's going to be close to you, tells you you're not good enough, that's like lightning. But then what do we have on our houses, right? We have these lightning rods that can protect us from that lightning. So all it takes is that one person that's going to come alongside us and help coach us up through that. Why do I think it's the most powerful? Because it's, there's there, again, there's just no ambiguity. You cannot be in the middle when it comes to that. You, can't, you can either believe that negative voice that tells you you're not good enough or you can believe in yourself. There's no middle of the road when it comes to that. That's why I think it's so powerful.
0: And do you think there's any way to prepare an individual to, to be ready for that moment so that they can get through it and overcome it? So I think of you You mentioned earlier around, you know, for some individuals, this is a long lasting effect, and they may not carry on sport, may not carry down the successful road they've been on. But for some individuals, it really makes them. Is there any particular strategies you can put in place to help people overcome those moments or setbacks?
1: Well, I, I think it's a great point. And let me just reiterate that a little bit. I mean, just look at like, you know, individuals that have dyslexia. And the amount of people that have dyslexia that end up becoming millionaires. Here in the United States, if you look at immigrants, if you look at all millionaires, 30% of them are immigrants, why is that? Because their situation forced them into something where success was the only other option. There's not going to be any plan B. There's a plan A, and that's it. And how do we get ready for that? Well, what I think is important is mental toughness is it's caught more than it's taught. Your situation or experience is going to be you're going to catch it. And, and when you get to be successful or you, when you fail, both is going to happen. Now it, it's a fish or cut bait moment. Now you are left naked in front of the gods. What are you going to do next? Now like you have failed, you have missed, what now? And it's only in those moments then that the real human spirit come, can come out. So if mental toughness is caught more than it's taught, how do we prepare these individuals for that moment? And what I say is this, is you have to, in one way or another, coach them up that they are getting ready for some type of adversity moment or person that's going to make all the difference in their lives. They just don't know what it looks like or what's going to come. And so what are the areas right now that you need to prepare, that you need to work on? So when those moments hit, you're going to be ready. When that failure hits, how are you going to bounce back? What's going to be the feedback? Are you going to start blaming other people? Are you going to own it? And and it, those are the sort of things that I think that we start to, you know, coach them up on because when those moments hit, it's too late to prepare. Like they have to be ready. And that's the only part. And that's where like the mental game becomes so important because if we wait till there's a real problem, it's too late, you know, then, um, then they get caught kind of in the abyss and, and, You know the washing machine of uh, development and kind of get spun out and that's the power of the coach and that's the power of the mental game is trying to prepare them letting them know that no matter how bad a situation is no matter how bleak an outcome looks it's only going to take one it only takes one opportunity to make all the difference in your life that's what you're getting ready for
0: so in terms of like preparing an individual so you mentioned there around you know, we, we want to prepare the people for that one moment, so that when yeah. that one moment does arise, they've got the tools they need to get through it and be ready to proceed. What type of strategies are put in place or processes are put in place to try and prepare people for that?
1: That's a, that's a wonderful question, because I don't think there's one thing, right? I think there's a couple of different layers to it. I think it always starts with the foundation of that as an individual, they got another identity. If all that they are, is their sport or their performance, that's a rough road because they are going to be the worst or they're going to be the best. And even when you're the best, you're not the best for very long. And now they're riding the roller coaster of their performance. So there has to be their identity in terms of who they are outside of the pitch, outside of the field, outside of the the court, that who they are as an individual. That foundation has to be built. And that's where a lot of times that doesn't get built. Right They just win and do well and get the pats on the back, but the foundation isn't there. that foundation of who they are and their identity has to be first. Then from that, now, we're molding the most difficult mental skill to teach, and that is the desire, the fire that drive motivation, right That's the one that you cannot teach. That's the one where it's going to be caught that that negative experience that happens. okay, now what? Now you missed the PK, right to lose. Now what? Now that becomes the powerful impetus for them either getting better or or getting worse. But that's the one skill that we can't teach. It's and that's the the power again of the coach and the support that that we come alongside. So once that foundation, their identity is as an individual. Now you got to work on those mental skills of, you know. What are the goals that they want? What are they willing to sacrifice for it? Um, How hard are they really willing to work at it? And then you're working on the skills of confidence, their ability to focus, and then their ability to let go of mistakes and to be able to move on. All those skills get intertwined and we're working on those, I think on a continual basis. And if we look at any type of mental skill work, you're addressing one of those, right? The motivation, confidence, focus, or refocus
0: and so when you're looking at the the younger athletes how would you support them in terms of finding other identities because i could go on the internet now and look up 18 year old quarterbacks top ranked in in the US and they're going to get offers from Alabama and Florida and whatnot and a lot of their notoriety in their local high school or from teachers or whoever is going to come from the fact that they're a five-star recruit who is, is going to potentially be a quarterback at Alabama so how do you prepare them to say listen this side of you is brilliant but actually we need other foundations in place and then identify for them that that will help their football potentially in the long term
1: yeah well that's that's the importance of a coach I think that's the importance of what's going to be who's coming alongside them in that in that whole journey do they value them as an individual or just as somebody that can get the job done on the field Um, it comes then to the teachers comes to the administration Are they willing to push this player along because it's going to give notoriety then to the school? You got a lot of different factors, man, that come into play. And then how is it at home, right? If the home life, and and it it can always vary, right? But let's say if it's an individual that parents prop them up for what they do, it's going to be a, it's going to be a hard fall because at some point they are not going to be the best. They're going to encounter major struggle. And then they're always getting back to what's the foundation that they're built upon. Those that can handle defeat and major setbacks have the foundation in place. And it's not just one thing, man. It's having the coach. It's having that family structure. It's having um, those that are willing to speak truth into their life outside of what it is that they do. So if someone says, look, man, I'm a football player, even that alone, I'm a quarterback even that alone, well, now you're saying that that is who you are as a football player. You you have to be an individual who plays football. You have to be a person who is a quarterback. And just even those little twists of vernacular make a difference in terms of their identity and, and who they are. If all they are are their performance, rough road. But but think about it, right? Here's the difficult part, is once you are a five-star recruit, you're getting the pats on the back about how good you are boy, that feels good. There's nothing that feels better. But now what you have is now you become affirmation junkies. Now you get people that need that affirmation. They seek that affirmation. They want that affirmation because it's it feels so good. Then that becomes part of their identity and then who they are as an individual. Well, what I do is I just win. I'm successful until they're not, until they go to Alabama. And now, wait a minute, I was recruited to be quarterback, but there's two other guys here that are, are just as good as or better than me. And, and then the spiral continues. So then that's that's why because that I think becomes so difficult is because of the pats on the back, because of the affirmation that they get out, you know, because of what they do.
0: So is there any enforced road bumps you could put in from your end that would help someone? So is there anything you could do that you would recommend to, you know, anyone listening who's got a, maybe a younger child or someone who plays football or a coach that works for young people that you go... You could put this type of practice in place and this might help them along the way or help them with challenges further down the line.
1: Yeah, I think winners don't do different things. They do things differently. And I think it's where, where's the standard that's going to be set? As coaches, we get what we tolerate. If we are not the hardest on our best player, then we're setting ourselves up for not having the whole team get in play. And what I mean, we get what we tolerate. If that player is late, if that player forgets something in their bag and we let it go, what we're saying is, is that standard really isn't important. And you have to have, I think, those standards in place and even starts at a young age of how do we conduct ourselves. Off the field, what are the things that we do off the field, because let's just look at grades, for instance, right, man, most important, and it's a great athlete, but their grades are crap, okay, why is that? Because we didn't put into play how important that that is until it becomes too late or until it becomes a problem, and then then you look at okay, well, the motivation of an athlete, they say getting to this level is so important for them, but their grades are crap well why is that? Well, what there really is, is that no, it's really not that important to them. And the problem with the mind itself, our mind, your mind, everyone's mind is we want the path of least resistance to get to where we want to go. So it's only through those coaches, the most important people in somebody's life is going to be that coach that sets that standard for them and how it is that we do things on and off the field. Becomes the overall development for them as a person. Let's say the individual makes it to the top level. Have we prepared them for that? But have we prepared them for after? Because even if they play eight, 10 years at the highest level, successful career, okay, well, then what? And that's where then a lot of athletes struggle again because we didn't build the foundation for them. That's all they are, that's all they know. And then when they're done playing, they don't get the pats on the back anymore. And now their identity is, okay, I'm not my performance anymore. Now, what it is that I do? All this process has to take place, I think, especially at a young level. And what are the standards that we set? And how do we approach all the little things in life?
0: I saw an interview the other day that touched on this subject a little bit. And it it mentioned around people that have gone through having a lot of Uh, success etc and a lot of notoriety and a lot of attention essentially when it gets to the back end of their career and they're done and then maybe not getting that attention it goes either two ways you either sail off into sunset and you have those foundations or you start getting attention and the only way you can do that is negatively so that's then when you start acting out or you start causing problems because actually the only way to get the attention off the people that you've had previously is to act out is that something that you've seen or would go along with from your experience
1: yeah i see it all the time especially when the foundation isn't there as an identity and all they are is their performance yeah if they're not killing it on the field any longer they're gonna try killing it off the field one way or another man to get that rush to get that high um to feel important right they're gonna buy that car they're gonna buy that stereo system but the problem is is it gives us that high but we always return back to the baseline. Um, on my podcast, man, I had uh, Barry Zito who elo- eloquently stated that, right? I mean, he had a 216 or $225 million contract, but was no longer the best. And talk about the struggle that he went through because his identity wasn't, the foundation wasn't there, man. So it was um, doing whatever he could to make sure inside felt great. Problem is, is that that feeling doesn't last, and we always return back to the baseline of of who we are and what it is that we do.
0: So, so moving on to that, because I think particularly in the NFL, there is a financial aspect to it, and you know, if you get to NFL, you get out your rookie contract, you're doing really well. Obviously, you get rewarded relatively well for it. But what you see quite a lot is individuals receive a contract, they have a contract year on the last one, and then all of a sudden, the following year. It drops off the edge of the cliff. They talk about production going down. And now, listen, I know there's a lot of factors. It may be defenses are going tighter, different schemes, et cetera. But I think it happens with such regularity. It does make me wonder whether some of it is motivational based. If your motivation is to get you and your family out, and all of a sudden you've got a 20 million contract and that's got you and your family out, it's kind of what's, what's next? Um have you had any experiences with athletes in that scenario at all?
1: I mean I don't I don't really think you have to get to the professional levels to see that. I think you can just get to even the collegiate level or the the next level whatever that next level is going to be. You know, here in the US it's all structured around that, especially not even playing at college but D1 and D1 scholarship. You know, that's the that's the gold at the end of the rainbow. And so what happens when you get that pot of gold, man, you got it. Look, players, when they get to college, they get worse or they get better, but they rarely stay the same because what happens when you made it, right? Made it, got it. That, that feeling wears off. And then it's like, you know, they they don't have that hunger of what they did because they reached their goal. And when you don't have that drive, when you don't have um, that insatiable, appetite, obsession, if you will, to keep getting better, then you get worse. And once you start getting worse, and then once the bad performance comes in, then it becomes you questioning, um, you know, the the confidence level comes in there. I mean, then a whole lot. Of you, I always talk about like you just getting shot into the abyss because there's never one thing, right? You get shot into the abyss. When you stare at the abyss long enough, the abyss stares back at you. So that's where working on individual's goals becomes so important. All we do when we set goals is we set these outcome goals. Well, what happens when you reach it? What happens when you make the gold medal and then you're flying back from London or Rio or Tokyo? And now what? Well, I I spent all this time to get this. Hopefully I got it. If you didn't, it's still a struggle, but okay, now what? You're always falling back to who you are as an individual in that foundation. That's why that becomes so much more important of, you know, are we developing uh, individuals, you know, well-rounded individuals, or are we just focusing on their performance and their athlete, not who they are as a person. And kind of to that point as well, it's like, you know, parents are so important to this process because what I see now is we try, the whole goal is to prepare your child for the path. But what we've done now is we've tried preparing the path for the child. We tried letting them know, where the roadblocks that they're going to face and and how they're going to have to navigate this. And they just play the system well. And when they reach the goal, that's, that's why I think if we need to look at talent identification, you got to find somebody that is not satisfied, that is hungry. And when they reach that goal, they're still going to stay hungry. And you, you, those are special people. They're special people because you can be pleased with your performance, but never satisfied. And that's a real, rare place to kind of be, you know, because you're always continually just focused on getting better and seeing how good you can really be.
0: Is there any ways you would identify that? So if you're in a room with a hundred athletes and you're looking at them and you're going, right, this is one of my key characteristics that I look for in an athlete. Is there any strategies you have to identify someone who's got that drive to constantly be better and never be satisfied?
1: You have to see them when stuff does not go well. I think you have to see them when um, when things aren't going well. Because when things are great, well, what's but you like what Martin Luther King said, right? That you have to um, see people enduring times of adversity. That is when you can really uncover what's going to be their go-to mechanism. Are they going to own it? Are they going to blame? Are they going to kind of dismiss it? You know, you, you can see then where it's going to kind of go, and then. The other part is, and this is what's difficult, but it's like mental toughness, it's really tough to, I know I defined it, but it's really tough to uh, define it. But when you know it, when you see it and you get, it's not all or nothing, but when you know it, you see it. You can see it in their eyes. You can tell about uh, when they show back up after they've had a major defeat, when they've really had it handed to them and then they show back up. That's the only times that you can really tell is does someone really have that drive and that hunger to be the absolute best that they can be? And um, it, you know, then it's getting back to like the structure, everything that's around them. I, I talked to a Hall of Fame boxing coach. He told me this one time, because I asked him the same question. I said, how do you know when you get a boxer that's really mentally tough? And he said, when, when they get beaten up and they show back up the next day. So it's the only time you can really tell. I love that answer, man, because I think that's just, they've got to be exposed to the adversity and then you see what they are as an individual.
0: Yeah, I think it's really interesting. And I guess the challenges from team to individual sport as as an individual, you have no get out. So in a boxer's context, it's like I wasn't good enough. It's It's on me. I was the one who got beaten in the ring. I was the one who got knocked out. Whereas in a team context, You're trying to keep an eye for those people who are blamers and say, well, you know, if the quarterback had thrown to me more, we would have won. Or, you know, if um, the play calling had been different, we would have won. Or if I've got better service, we would have won. So it's trying to wrap that into one in a team context. How can I break that down as an individual?
1: This is the part that I look at too. Like it's as coaches, have we set up the structure where there's going to be adversity that they're going to face? And then how do they navigate that and then deal with it? Because then you're going to be able to see at the, at the practice level, when they've encountered adversity, whether through a drill, through some type of challenge that they need to overcome, all even sport context, right? I don't think you need to like throw them out into the woods and Hey, find your way back sort of thing. But even in the sporting context, when they're faced with the adversity, you're going to be able to tell, Hey, who are the finger pointers? Um, Who are going to be those that encourage one another? And then you're going to be able to see, because what happens during Tuesday is exactly what's going to happen like during the game. You know, we play like we train, but if we haven't exposed them to this type of challenges and then we can see what we're going to get, that becomes so important is if we know we got a blamer, if we know we got somebody that's going to point the finger, how do we then as coaches are able to coach them through that and let them know, look, there's a better way to be able to do this. And now you got to peel away the layers, right? Well, why are they blaming? And, and how then as a coach, can I help them with a different skill set? that that's not going to be the best way and it's not going to work. Um, you can blame them outside, you know, of, uh, of where we're here and what I mean outside, not in public or anything like that, but it's like, you know, on your own, but not in the sport of like, uh, of the actual context of how we're trying to play and where we're trying to go, like as a team you you set up the challenges and then it's all oh, the power is always in the debrief and how do we coach them up through that process
0: this might be a challenging one for you to answer do you pull your hair out with some of the practitioners that you watch because i, I you know you watch documentaries over in the uk the example i'll give is last chance you <laughs> um you've got a couple of coaches there that are quite brutal with their athletes um, obviously, if you're involved in sport, you 'd probably see it going to uh, to training grounds or coaching sessions or that type of stuff. Do you find it frustrating to go and watch a team where they purely focus on results and performance and then don't equip the young people with these skills or the footfall practice that you're talking about now
1: We are in such a short uh, microwave society that it's about you know, how good you are right now. And it's not about long-term development um, because coaches have pressure on them. They have, coach- they have pressure on them from uh, administration. If, if, if you're a coach and the administration does not have your back, you're in a tough spot. You're gonna be focused on, on results. And because we are in a results business at some point or another, right? It is about the results. But like a focus on winning doesn't lead to winning, a focus on the process does. And so I think the majority of what happens is, is we become only focused on winning, only focused on results, only focused on statistics. And when we become only focused on that, then emotion gets involved, then fear gets involved. And when you lead from a place of fear, now you're gonna lead with anger, with anger, lead with frustration that you're going to make mistakes. And it's, it's the emotion that's kind of going in there. So I asked coaches, look, what type of coach do you want to be today, regardless of the outcome? Because as coaches, we have to become, um, it's, again, it's not like the outcome doesn't matter, but we have to become, uh, disengaged a bit from the outcome because our job is to be able to coach them up. And it's going to be the debrief. But the more and more that emotion gets played into it, I think that's when we make mistakes as coaches. And then, you know, that's, it 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 can only be like, what's going to be our mindset heading in. I think that's where coaches can really benefit from that. What type of coach do I want to be? What's the message want to be today? And I'm going to do that regardless of how well they practice or how well their effort is Boy, that becomes then the really difficult part. But that's where you become a better coach and make a better bigger impact
0: and is there any individual that springs to mind that you've worked with or seen who's made really good strides in this area maybe someone that was emotional and linked it all to performance and actually going through these type of conversations with you where they've gone actually yeah this might be a better avenue and better process to go down and this will help me and the kids in, in in the long term
1: man and that's why coaches are my favorite people They really are, man, because I've seen so many of them. Some of them get it early. Some of them get it later. And it just doesn't become about winning so much as doing the best that you can absolutely do. And they become so focused on that process. That's what the best coaches do. They have a standard of how we approach things on a day in and day out basis on the field and off. This is the standard that we have. And then it becomes a relentless focus on the now and the present moment. And what are we doing uh, to get better at that process? So any coach that becomes, any coach is going to say, yeah, we're focused on the process, but how do they do it becomes a whole nother story. And it's kind of like when it's all said and done, more said than done. When you can see the coaches that really focus on the process and getting better, And coaching them up, um, you just see it. It's just one of those things that you know. And those, uh, I think, are the coaches that last the test of time.
0: And what steps or what practices do they put in place? Is there any particular debriefs they use? Is there any particular strategies with their assistant coaches they use? Is there anything that springs to mind that consistently works across all those coaches?
1: I think those coaches have a, a constant... Need to get better themselves. I think when you see a coach that is consistently working on themselves in one area or another, reading books, going to uh, conferences, learning from other coaches, that's the best type of education you can have, right? What, what, are, what are we feeding our mind? What are we feeding our mind? Who are we surrounding ourselves with? If you are a head coach and you have three negative coaches around you, what are the potential of you impacting them positively or those three coaches impacting you negatively? Like then there's the battle. So it's like, what are you feeding your mind on a consistent basis? And I think we have to marinate our mind with um, this insatiable need to keep getting better ourselves. And how are we communicating with ourselves? Like what are the things that we say to ourselves? And then how are we marinating our mind with the positivity and the confidence that we need to um, communicate ourselves, you know, to our players, to our athletes, to those individuals, because we can't pour from an empty cup, man. And so many times I see coaches that rag themselves dry because they they don't, they they got an empty cup and they're trying to pour from it. And you have to have an abundance mindset. You have to have a mindset that um, look, we're good and we're going to get better. And the outcome is important, but we're not going to only focus on that. And when you get that, it becomes part of the communication. It becomes really just the fabric of who you are as a team and how you approach different things. And do you
0: think that longevity comes because, like you said there, in terms of having a bigger cup to pour from and stuff? all of a sudden if you've got one way you've got one way of dealing with an issue and you do this for 10 years all of a sudden that one way may no longer work whereas if I keep improving and developing myself I may end up with four or five different cups that I can pour from which allows me to then you know use different skills at different times to affect the individual I'm working with so do you think that the longevity of coaching careers quite often is down to those who are willing and able to soak up information from all other avenues and then use it at the right time
1: amen you know if you listen to like the very first beatles album right the beatles didn't stay the same band throughout all their their whole career same thing with the rolling stones right they they changed the reason why bob dylan was so great is because bob dylan's original stuff you know didn't wasn't the same So you have to modify as being a coach and that's how using those different resources and getting better, then you're able to make adjustments. And that's what the best coaches do. The best coaches are make adjustments. If we have one way and this is going to be our only way, it's great when it's successful until it's not successful. And then it's like, well, how have we gotten better and how have we modified and improved? So that's why I always look at those that are going to have different resources to pull from are the, man, they're the coaches that just keep continually getting better.
0: Perfect. So I think we've, we've gone quite a lot into the setbacks did, and stuff. Didn't you like, didn't you like that? So,
1: didn't you like that Beatles and the uh, I did, Jones yeah. Reference?
0: It's, it's a good analogy. And I'm just thinking back yeah. to artists, you're right. In terms of transformation and how they change over time, it is because of, you know, you develop over time. If you stand still, everyone will go, oh, no, I've heard that. We're well, good, thanks.
1: Yeah. But then think about it, right? Think about the criticism that individuals have. Like Bob Dylan, when he went electric guitar, pissed off all the people that just folk singers and they were like, what are you doing? You know what I mean? And it's like, he realized that I'm, this I'm, I'm growing as, as a person and you can stay where you are, but I'm growing, I'm getting better. And so you're not always going to please everybody with that process of getting better and then trying to do different things. Change is the hardest thing for mediocre minds to deal with, but change and making adjustments is, is how greatness is achieved. Sorry for the tangent man didn't mean to cut you off.
0: No that's fine to be honest it's quite a nice segue so i said we've done a lot with the setback side so now i'd be really mm-hmm. interested in the pressure side of mental toughness so when we're talking about even that outside pressure external factors from crowds from you know bosses from organizations etc how are you preparing the athletes you work with to deal with those pressures and external uh context
1: yeah well a couple of different factors if if we're flying and i always liked this one because i'll have a water bottle I'll drink some of out of it and then what happens when that when we've landed right that water bottle itself has kind of crushed because is it the pressure from the outside or is it the pressure from insides because the contents from the inside were gone and yeah there's pressure from outside there's always going to be pressure Number one, back to the foundation identity you are as a person. If this is all you're going to do, then there's going to be pressure from outside. And the better you get, the more pressure that there's going to be. But I also think the better that you get, the more important mental toughness is off the field than it is on the field. And so I look at it as who are you surrounding yourself with? Who are the people that are really important in your life? And you find the real important people that are going to be in your life. Are rooting for you. They want you to be successful, but they're not the ones that are putting the pressure on you. If you feel the pressure from those that are going to be on your inner circle, that's where the real pressure comes from. And so I kind of put that out there because um, the, the, the pressure from external is knowing that you cannot please these individuals, no matter what you do, you can't please them. And if you're playing to please them, if you're playing for the pats in the back, it's a, it's a bad motivation to be in with, man. It's nice. It's wonderful, but that can't be the reason why you're playing and it can't be the part of your identity. that becomes most important. And that's where I see the athletes and coaches fall down that trap of wanting the affirmations. And then what happens when they lose? I always ask coaches this, right? How many people, um, you, you are are just with a, a player, You make that shot, you win that game. How many people are blowing you up on social media telling you, man, great shot, way to go, awesome shot, so proud of you? Well, when you miss the shot, how many people are blowing you up, right? None, zero, maybe one, and then that becomes the most important person. So you can't please them. And uh, the better you are, the more criticism that you're going to get from no matter what you do. And I think it's just part of that process of being them, coach them up on that and letting them know who they are as an individual and what are some- you know what is this path gonna look like, and is it something that they want to go down? Some people don't want to go down that path because um they are in the spotlight too much, and you've got to know that that's the path of um you're gonna face criticism and for something that was done or wasn't done something that and that's the thing now right it's like we're we're going to take um a soundbite from somebody who is 17 years old and criticize them for that that they did five years ago and say, Well, look at look at that individual, right? They're such a hypocrite. You you're telling me that we need to judge people on like who they were, like as a little teenager. And that that's what we do now, right? If if we can't criticize them for who they are right now, we gotta find something to criticize them about. And that's what we do. So it's like if we worry ourselves about what other people think, um it's, that's, that's not the path for us, right? You should do something where you're not going to be criticized. And I'll tell athletes this too. I said, look, if you are getting criticized, you're doing something right. You know why? Cause they don't boo nobodies. They don't boo nobody's. If they're booing you, you're doing something right. And, um, that's the part that I see. sorry for the tangent, man, but I just, I see it too much. It's like, we're judging somebody from five years ago. That means that they can't change as a person. That 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 means that's who they are, right? That's who they were at fifteen years old, the mistake that they made, that's who they are now. But we do that, you know. And that's the part where I look at social media, it's the same thing, man. It becomes um the petri dish of just this insepid, rancid um you know, criticism of people and things and of ideas because they're unhappy with themselves.
0: Yeah, I've been listening to a lot of podcasts recently and they have not too complimentary social media. And I think that is one of the issues. Why in terms of, you know, people, I think most athletes who actually stay off of it and have people that just take care of it for them and don't read comments or don't really listen. Probably the ones that are psychologically more, a lot more healthy than those that spend a lot of time on there and clap back and all that type of stuff. Because I like totally agree.
1: Said- and and that there's a challenge, right? I went through a 90 day detox last year from all social media. And one of them was cause my account got hacked. Right. And there wasn't anything I could do about it. And, you know, I, uh, so I just, I shut it all down and yeah, it was a little bit sketchy, man, because a lot of my, um, you know, your message and content goes through those channels. And, um, but I tell you what, after a couple of weeks, man, my mind was even that much clearer. you know, it was that much more focused and it wasn't about any type of like distractions because I'll hear something as well and I'll ruminate it about it. And I'll think about it and I'll, I'll and it just takes me kind of away from like the present moment, what I'm doing. So i always say that, man, there's a great test, right? See if you can go 90 days without it.
0: I'll be honest. I'm not a big one for it. I do it for this, but I think if on yeah. my personal Facebook account, I think I um, I send a happy birthday to my other half, Christmas pictures and wedding anniversaries. Beyond that, I don't think I've posted since 2014. So uh, it's, pretty, it's pretty good going, to be fair.
1: My man. Well, see, then you don't have stuff to criticize you about. So it's good.
0: Yeah, exactly. And that's <laughs> how I look in the pictures, but we won't get into that. Um, so yeah, in, in terms of, okay, internally, so the process for individuals to be able to cope um, you, you know you're the 18th green at the masters mm-hmm. and you've got this putt to win or you know it's the final shot in the NBA finals the ball's coming to you to make that three-pointer what type of processes or what type of strategies or what work do you do for an individual to hopefully allow them to execute that skill well in that moment in time
1: yeah well I think you need to look at the context and I always try teaching athletes. You got to play the sport, not the context, just because it's masters the 18th. Now, if you start doing something different, now you're playing the context. But if you look at an individual who is going through their routine, which is what I'm going to get back to the big part is their routine, but if somebody making a putt as opposed to somebody catching a ball and shooting it. Well, one's a closed sport. One's an open sport. One's an open skill. One's where there's no thought whatsoever so if you break it down to, okay, now you got a free throw, well, now you got time there. And what you're really getting back to is, um, their ability to focus on the process and what they're trying to do. And it does not mean the movement itself. It means, have you developed a routine that allows the performance just to happen? You know, it just allows it to happen. You just do it. And you don't have to think about doing it. Because once you start thinking and playing at the same time, it's kind of barbecue. You can't do it. So it's always getting back to what's the routine that you kind of have in place. And that's what we're always getting back to is how well have you developed that routine that the only thing that you're focused on is the execution
0: I've heard a little bit of talk around trying to ground yourself in those moments where you're feeling high anxiety or, or high stress levels. Um, I guess in, in a way that's what you, you're talking about there in terms of grounding yourself to the moment and not overthinking or getting overworked up but just focusing on the task that's ahead of me right now.
1: Yeah and, and um, it's about creating practice and competitions so you know where your mind is going to go when you are faced with that type of Pressure circumstance, right? What, what, it, what are your hands going to be telling you, right? I mean, how sweaty are they going to get, or where's your mind going to go, the thought racing? And if the first time you're going to experience that as at the highest level, it's going to be a little bit more difficult. I'm not saying you can't do it, it's going to be a little bit more difficult. If you've encountered this through uh, practice and competitions along the way, you know where your mind's going to go. It's not going to be a secret. You're going to know how to combat it. And that's where I think then that's that's the importance of always getting back to that preparation piece.
0: So when you're reviewing that with someone, what do you what type of thing would you do? So I, I think that's really interesting what you're saying there for Tom Brady, his first Super Bowl and going and making that fourth quarter drive is probably a lot more nerve wracking than his 27th one or whatever he's about to be in. So when you're looking to do that review piece with someone and say actually where did your mind go physiologically Uh how did you feel how do you go around getting them to actually be self-aware enough to make notes or um voice notes whatever that is so they are aware of it the next time it comes up
1: right and i think that's the beauty about uh coaching and coming alongside individuals is once they can let me know Man, it's a real gift because now that's exactly what's going to show up next time. That's the demon. How are we going to combat that demon? And it's just the debrief, man. It's just having the conversation. It's just going through it with them and letting them know that's, what's going to show up. If, if you get somebody that's really self-aware, then you're debriefing them on where have they been in those precious circumstances before. And then not necessarily the outcome about how they did because they're still going to get juiced up. It's just how they kind of channel that. And I always share this with my athletes is we play like we train. We play like we train. If we don't face any adversity at all in our training and the adversity that we're going to face is during the competitions or at a different stage, it's going to be a lot more difficult. We play like we train. We have to set up our trainings. So there is that, that pressure and there is that adversity that we need to overcome.
0: And do you would you ask them to like narrate so if if say for example, it is a pub and we've got the camera on them and then you're coming back and you're you're debriefing a couple of days after would you ask them to narrate how they're feeling or would you ask them to diarize it that evening how in terms of a tangible action um for them, how would you get them to actually tangibly do that type of uh, reflection
1: i think and again, I think as a coach, it's being able to ask the questions. It's being able to ask the the what and the how questions um, of what were they feeling? What was going on? Um, how did they cope with it? What was their strategy? Some of them write. Some of them don't. I think it's just being able to work with the athlete you got. The, the part that I just know that's where the real juice lies, it's always in the debrief. It's always going to be afterwards. And what did we learn from that instance? And how, is it, how did that prepare us for the next time?
0: yeah no, that's good and then how does this transfer into a business context so obviously we, we talk, we've spoken extensively around this in sport and how trying to maybe create speed bumps helps or how to deal with external internal pressures when we're looking at this in a business context and the type of leadership people can put in place and how you can support staff or challenge staff so that during stressful periods of your your Yearly cycle they're able to cope with it. How does this type of work transfer, and what experience have you got in that field?
1: man, you know since the pandemic executives was never anything that I really focused on right I just wanted coaches and athletes since the pandemic hit executives have become um i pick and choose now exactly who it is that I want to work with and who it is that they want help because everything became so scrambled um during that time. And the reason why I share that is because I just think everybody needs a coach. Coach is somebody that takes you someplace you want to go. If If you want to go fast, man, go alone. But if you want to go far, you got to go together. You got to find somebody that you can confide in, know and trust, and that can help you get to where you want to go. That's the power of a coach. And organizations that don't have that in place are going to struggle. They really are at some point. Because they're not helping their individuals cope with that process of when they're going to struggle. And um, that's why I think everybody needs a coach, man.
0: Yeah. It's, it's interesting. Cause I think how, how many companies are open-minded enough to get someone in to work with them and how many leaders in high up organizations are willing to have someone come in and challenge them and say, actually, you're not supporting your staff. So, yeah, they're fine at the moment, but X, Y, Z may happen under stressful circumstances. Um, from your perspective, are there a lot of companies that are open minded to this or is this still something that's in its infancy?
1: Well, it just depends. You show me that you show me a company that cares about its people and really in, and it's not just in a- mission statement but they really focus on their people they focus on serving them and I will show you a company that's on the right path and if you get individuals that they're only focused on the short term stock price uh, shareholders and um, and what they say is well we value our people but it's just lip service I'm going to show you a company that that eventually is going to be on the decline because it just does not work and it's, and it's not sustaining It's really not. Look, anybody can, I wouldn't say anybody, but there are people that will have success. But what's really important is the sustained success, you know, the year to year improvement. And the only way they do that is when they become focused on their people and improving as a culture, improving then as leaders themselves. And, um, you, if you get that, you get special organizations and it's same thing, man. It's just like with every athlete, every business isn't exactly the same, but every athlete that's has potential isn't going to reach the next level because businesses have different agendas and business have different, uh, bottom lines. Um, you know, if you reward somebody for this behavior, they're going to do that behavior, but does that behavior really impact the overall company or just their section of the company. So then you get a whole lot of different factors that kind of come into play. And does this
0: change generationally? Because I'd imagine if you have a 50-year-old who's had certain life experiences compared to a 24-year-old who's just come out of college and has very different ones, they've grown up in different areas with different types of teaching, all that type of stuff. How does this, how does generationally, does that change this type of work?
1: That's a great one. I think the only thing that's a little bit different is with, it's, it's tough to answer. And I guess the reason why it's tough to answer is because, you know, I'd be generalizing too much and I try to stay away from it, right? But I know with individuals um, that are going to be a little bit older, the only difference is, is now they have wisdom and you get wisdom through experience. But has that been good wisdom? Or has that been experience that hasn't helped them? And now, but it's just a different tack than you take kind of as a coach. Individuals who are going to be younger, they don't have wisdom. They don't have the benefit of that. So what do they have instead? Well, they have knowledge and they're going to have more, um, maybe more desire, right? More eagerness depending on where they want to go. And so it's really, it's just working with the individual that you have and everyone, everyone's a little bit different now
0: perfect no really really interesting i think the wisdom thing's a big one and probably how you can utilize that in a in a company setting is is great so the last question is something i ask everyone which is who's the i guess the most impressive coach or athlete you've worked with and
1: why um man i mean there's been so there's been so many um because even with some of the coaches that I never really connected with on a real deep level, I still learned from, you know, I learned maybe how I don't want to do things or I learned one technique from them. It's really difficult for me to say that man about, Hey, this is the most important one. Um, if I have to, um, yeah, I mean, I've got, geez, man, that's a tough question, dude. It's really tough and i i'm not one to like cop out of answers i would rather say like who are my favorite coaches that i haven't worked with
0: do that then do that go go down that route that's absolutely fine
1: all right well i would say um i would definitely say it it would start with pat summit uh i think pat summit university of tennessee her process, the way she developed it, the way she impacted so many different people would be uh the epitome of of coaching. Now, did she rip into players? Yeah. But she had the standard of what she had set and became focused on this is how we do things. And um man, generational success of of what they had and totally changed the uh the entire game. Um obviously a lot of people would say John Wooden, uh Anson Dorrance. um and and I love Pep, man. I think Pep uh watching just that that football is is enjoyable. And he's a guy that I think gets it and gets focused on um the process as well and always continually getting better. Those are those are a couple and I guess Pep is the one that's probably like modern day, Anson Lawrence is as well. Um but I think those are some incredible coaches.
0: No, brilliant some great answers there and for listeners that don't know them, they can go and do a little bit of digging on, on those people which is great so listen Rob a really interesting conversation loads of great tidbits that people can go and take with them and yeah really appreciate your time and hopefully catch up with you again soon cheers man